So my name is Eric Bryant, and I was born in Sacramento. Anyone born in Sacramento? All right. Not very many of us. I thought there'd be more. Um, I, uh, I grew up, um, loved my parents, kind of strict parents. Anyone have strict old school kind of parents? All right, so my dad used to say, yeah, I was born here because my dad was in the Air Force in the military. And my dad would say, maybe you can help me finish this sentence. I don't know if this is unique to him. I don't think it is. To be early is to be on time. To be on time is to be, and to be late is to be unheard of. Well, I always got the very, very sorry. So anyway, you guys are all early, and that's fantastic. So we're going to just get started. Uh, today, this session is about becoming who God has created you to be. And it's really in the framework of uh, the parable of the soils. So we'll jump into this. And again, if you're just coming in, I'm going to email you the notes because I know it's a little bit hard to see. Uh, I'll just send you this whole PowerPoint thing and a, a couple of links that you could uh, click on for more resources. But before we jump in, do you mind if I pray? How about we do that? God, what a gorgeous morning in this gorgeous place. Uh, we're so thankful for the freedom we have to even be in this room and to study more about you, to learn more about you. God, and there are people's lives on the line that you brought into our space, into our life. And God, we need you to help us become who you created us to be so that we might rescue them, that we might be a source of life and light as we bring people to you, Jesus. So God, I just pray that you would bless our time together, uh, not just in this session, but through the rest of the conference. And may we leave this conference um, sent out and change the world. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So just a quick little context. Uh, again, I was born in Sacramento. I lived here for six weeks, and I don't remember much about it. Uh, but then I uh, really grew up in Texas. Anyone from Texas? All right, me and you. All right, kindergarten through college, I was in Texas. Uh, that's where my parents are from. And, um, and basically... Right after college, I left Texas and went to Seattle. Anyone from Seattle? Yep. All right. We've got some Northwest folks. Big Seattle Seahawks fan. And uh, they're finally good. They're finally good now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I shouldn't say that around these parts, huh? Get a rope. And, uh, and, but I was there for four years where we had four senior pastors in the first four years of the church's life. So that's not how you plant a church. Uh, I was the third of the four. I was like 23 years old, and I, so I, you can see how bad things were. And um, after, the four, after four years, uh, my wife and I moved to Los Angeles, and we volunteered at a church called Mosaic, and eventually I became the executive pastor there. That's Erwin McManus is the lead pastor there. We were there for uh, almost 13 years, and our, both our children were born there. It's, and I was born in California, so I would tease my wife. You know, she's the only Texan in the family. And... Uh, but then four years ago, we moved back to Texas, got lots of family there. In fact, everybody I'm related to, except for a couple of odd cousins, are in California, uh, which I started realizing, I guess I'm one of the odd cousins. I was out here in California for so long. But uh, four years ago, moved to Austin. Uh, any of you ever been to Austin? All right. Live musical music capital of the world. Keep Austin weird. And we mean it. Like, we love weird. I live in South Austin. That's where that phrase originated, keep Austin weird. There's a bumper sticker in my neighborhood I walk by all the time. It says, South Austin, we're all here because we're not all there. Okay, that's, that's, that's where I'm from. Um, 
And Austin is a very anti-Christian, post-Christian city in many ways. In fact, if you are from the Bible Belt and you want to get out of the Bible Belt but still be in Texas, you go to Austin. Uh, Janice Joplin left Corpus, came to Austin. Uh, and I could go over, you know, lots of different people. Willie Nelson, um, Stevie Ray Vaughan, all these people. But uh, on my street, there's a place called uh, Maria's Taco Express. And every Sunday morning, they have hippie church. Hippie church. They don't talk about Jesus. They sing eagle songs. They basically worship uh, classic rock. Um, and there's also Sinner's Brunch at Joe's Coffee Shop on Sunday morning. And so there's an anti-Christian. Only 15% of Austinites attend church. 15, one five. That's just uh, you know five, about five times better than Europe. So that's good. About 85% less than Dallas. So it's a, it's a it's a wonderful place to be if you have a, a missionary's heart. And so that's that's kind of where I'm coming from, my context. But what I want to share in the context of our time today is. If you look back at your life, do you feel a sense of gratitude or a sense of regret? I mean, there's kind of this pervasive uh, attitude in our culture. Have you ever heard this? Like someone does something stupid and then afterwards they say, but I have no regrets. Have you ever heard that? Usually it's on reality TV shows, right? I've just brought shame on my family, but I have no regrets, right? I don't know about you, but I have regrets. Anyone have regrets? All right, I have some silly regrets. I regret in sixth grade I poured gasoline into a styrofoam cup in the garage. That doesn't work. Uh, it melts, and uh, I was discovered by experimenting. I regret the eighth grade, like all of it. I regret taping over, recording over my daughter's video sonogram. I further regret that I taped over it with celebrity boxing. <laughs> I, I did. You guys remember VHS tapes, right? Some of you too young to know this, but, but there was just what looked like a blank videotape. I just put it in, hit record, went out of the house, and taped over my video sonogram of my daughter. Fortunately, she is 12 years old and alive and well, so that's good. But it was a scary few moments. I was praying for about four months because if that baby didn't make it, neither would I. It was going to be bad. Uh, but I have some regrets, and those are just silly ones. I have other regrets. But here's the thing about regrets. Regrets can rob us of the courage and hope that we need to become the people God created us to be. So what I want us to do today is I want you to think in terms of this next hour as an Etch-A-Sketch moment. Remember Etch-A-Sketch? All right. Some of these people are like great artists on the Etch-A-Sketch, and they create this amazing drawing. But then at the very end, you just shake it. You start all over. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. In this moment, I want you to think of this as an Etch-A-Sketch moment. And instead, I want you to think about the future that God has for you. That what if you could just start from scratch and that God, and I believe this is true, I imagine you do too, that God can take all of our regrets, all the pain, all the horrible things that have happened to us, and actually use it for good. That actually all that has come before can actually be what helps us create a better future, the future that he has in mind for us. So there was this moment where Jesus got out and uh, in front of a, one of the largest crowds he ever spoke of, and in front of one of the largest crowds, what would you think he would talk about. I've just given you the answer. But you would think maybe he'd talk about heaven. All right? 
You think maybe he would talk about the poor, right? But in this moment where he looked out on this crowd of people, he actually talked about there was a way that each one of them, as he looked out at them, just as I'm looking out at you, that there is unlimited potential in your life when it comes to spiritual influence. Right? You might be limited in your academically, you might be limited financially, you might be limited even in terms of talent in certain ways, but there is unlimited potential in each one of us when it comes to spiritual impact. All right? And so if you know the story of Matthew 13, 1 through 23, you'll remember this is the parable of the soils, right? So Jesus gets up and he basically starts talking to them about the four soils, right? And we don't have time to read through all of it, but it's a, it's a fascinating parable, and it gives us a great deal of hope, but it also is a bit scary, too. All right, so the story goes, Jesus tells this parable, which, by the way, he spoke in parables so that those who have ears to hear would hear, and those who did not wouldn't get him. See, sometimes when we come to the scriptures, when we hear these stories, we don't necessarily have ears to hear. See, the scriptures are not, it's not like a, a book of literature, our history book. It's actually a portal into the presence of God. So when you open the scriptures, you got to pray, God, give me eyes to see and ears to hear your message for me. All right? So then Jesus basically shares this message. The first soil, he says, is like rocky soil. And the, the reason that that person that hears the message of the kingdom of God, the reason that person doesn't become fruitful is because they did not keep what they heard. Right? So I'm going to give you a quick overview. So if think of it this way. So if the to avoid being the first soil, we need to just learn to hear God's voice and apply it to our life, right? And we're going to go through all these in more detail, but just kind of a broad overview. So the first thing in order to become fruitful, that's the punchline. He says, "You can be fruitful and bear fruit 30, 60, 100 times what was sown." But what keeps you from that is if you're like the first soil. You're not receptive. Right? It's like the word of God is landing on hard soil. Right? The second, though, do you remember what the problem was with the second type of soil? Right? The birds was the first soil. I said rocky, didn't I? It was the hardened path, and the birds came up and picked it up. The second is the rocky soil. Right? It was the trials. Right? They seem to be doing great, and then the next thing you know, right, it shrivels up when things get hot. See? So... The opposite of that is if we want to become fruitful, then just don't give up when things get tough. Again, we'll talk about all this in great detail. The third, remember what was wrong with this one? The weeds, right? It grew up among the weeds. The weeds it describes as worries, right? Worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. It's temptation. In order to become fruitful, we need to not give in to temptation. And then if we can become receptive, Become tenacious, not giving up in trials. And if we can be intentional, not giving up in temptations, then we will be fruitful. So what does it mean in the scriptures to be fruitful? Let's just do a little Bible trivia real quick. When the scriptures talk about being fruitful, what does it make you think of? Fruit of the Spirit, right? So to be fruitful means your life looks different. When people experience you, they experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Did I miss the fruit? Did I? Which one? Oh, no, got them all. Okay, that's the fruit. Fruit of the Spirit, right? So when people encounter you, they experience the fruit of the Spirit. 
So that's an area of your life. Right now, you can think about, when it comes to Etch-A-Sketch, am I experiencing the fruit of the spirits in my life? The fruit of the spirit in my life. Am I experiencing joy, peace, kindness, gentleness? Just stop. Just do joy, right? Just try that one for today, right? Let the Spirit of God flow through you in such a way that there is joy. Then tomorrow, try peace, right? The fruit of the Spirit. So to be fruitful means we are transformed. But there's another word, another uh, application of being fruitful in the Scriptures. Can you think of it? A harvest. That's right. Paul talked about the harvest among you. So not only are we to be transformed, but we're to be transforming the lives of others, that through how we live our life, actually other people's lives will be changed. Now, I know some of you are thinking about be fruitful and multiply. All right, that's another type of fruitful. Some of you have done better at that than others. Some of you have five, six, seven kids, right? And, and so certainly that idea of our life should make a difference, spiritually speaking, transformed and transforming others, that we should have spiritual babies. And then if we do things right, our spiritual babies will have babies. We can have spiritual grandbabies, right? <laughs> oh, someone says, okay. All right, so how do we do this? How do we do this? First, receptivity, all right? So we don't want to be the first soil. We don't want to let go of the word of God. We want actually to understand and hear God's word and hold on to it, all right? We don't want to have a hardened heart. By the way, again, I'll send you, for those of you just coming in, there's little sheets going around. Uh, there's also some over there at the book table. Just give me your email and I'll send you the notes, okay? I'll send you the notes. All right, so first of all, uh, overcoming a hardened heart. Uh, maybe you've heard this. Some of you might be builders or in construction, but I found this fascinating, there are some folks that when they build an office complex, they don't put in the sidewalks at first. What they wait and see is where everybody parks, they start noticing where in the grass people are walking. And there, as the grass is being walked on, the ground is being hardened, that's where they put in the sidewalks. See, some of us have hard hearts. We've been trampled on. People have walked on us. And so as a result... We've not just given up on people, we've given up on God. We hold God responsible for the evil things people do. And that only hurts ourselves, doesn't it? All right, so think of it this way. Do you know what God's calling is for your life? All right? And, and you know, when you're a kid, you hear people, I want to be a fireman, right? I wanted to be an NBA basketball player, all right? I don't think that was God's calling. My mom is four foot 11 inches tall. That was probably never going to happen, right? I'm not talking about what do you want to be when you grow up. I mean, what kind of person, not career, but what kind of person is God calling you to be? Or what, what passion, what burden has he put in your heart? And so in order for us to become receptive, we need to learn how to hear God's voice. We need to learn how to hear God's voice. Some of you might be in a dry spell. I've been through dry spells in my life. If you're in a dry spell, then just think back. How did you hear his voice before? And I want to give you several different ways to hear God's voice. And uh, let me just, again, if you're taking notes, John 10, Revelation 3. But here's the thing. God is speaking. The problem is we're often not listening. Sometimes the reason we do not hear from God is because we've turned our back on him. 
And so simply put, the way to hear his voice is to make sure there's nothing between you and God. You're not holding him responsible for the evils that others have done. You're not mad at him for unanswered prayers. There's a great quote by Timothy Keller that said, we will one day, or let me say it this way, God answers our prayers the way we would if we knew everything he does. That's Tim Keller. I probably butchered it a little bit. But God answers prayers the way we would if we knew everything he does. See, some of us have had unanswered prayers that we've held against God, and we're not hearing his voice because we're bitter at God. So, in order to hear God's voice, we need to first seek after God through the scriptures, fasting, prayer, right? Really seek after him. I had this guy tell me, yeah, I tried Christianity, it didn't work. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, I read the Bible a few times and I didn't get what I wanted. Okay, that's not what we're talking about here. Seeking after God, right? You could seek after God for days, weeks, months, years before you see what he's wanting to do, right? And uh, I said this yesterday, but this is really important. Scriptures are a portal into God's presence. Our goal is not to know a lot about the Bible. Our goal is to actually obey what the Bible says. At Mosaic, we learn that maturity isn't about how much you know. It's about how fast you're willing to obey. See, some of us know everything we need to know. We're just not doing what we know we need to do. But seeking God, it includes the scriptures. That includes fasting. That includes prayer. There have been times in my life, well, I'll just fast from Diet Coke. I'll just fast from sugar just to reorient, reconnect with God. It's amazing when you give up something that you do, you know, you drink all the time or you think about all the time. Uh, well, you'll start thinking about it more when you give it up, right? But they also need to listen for the Spirit of God. And this is a little bit tricky, right? Because there's all sorts of crazy people in our world that literally do evil things and they say it was in the name of God. They heard God's voice. There are other people throughout history that have done some really horrendous and evil things in the name of God and they were not listening to the voice of Jesus. Here's how you know if that still small voice, a thought that comes into your head, here's how you'll know it's from God or not. Does it require courage? Is that thought require selflessness? And is it consistent with the scriptures as God's represented in the scriptures? One time I was walking through a bookstore. I see a guy in the religion section um, this is up in Seattle, Half Price Books. And I'm walking by, and I see him, and I have this thought. Buy that man a Bible. Well, I didn't know this grid back then, so I started having an argument. What if he doesn't want a Bible? What if he picks an expensive Bible? Right? And started going over all the reasons why not to do this. Well, what, was, what that thought required courage, it was selfless, and it's consistent with what God would want me to do. So I actually went over to the guy. And I don't know why I said this. I, somehow I acted like I worked there, I guess. I was like, can I help you find something? You know? And, and he literally said, as he's in the religion section, the spirituality section, he says, I'm on a spiritual quest. And I said, well, I'd love to buy you a Bible. And... He goes over and starts looking at the Bible, and I explained to him how the Bible has helped me on my spiritual quest. And I talked about, pointed him towards Jesus and John. Start reading in John. Don't start reading in Genesis, because you'll get to Leviticus far too soon, right? <laughs> I didn't tell him all that, but I said, go to John. 
And, and so he starts looking at the Bibles, and then I did pray a very selfish prayer. God, help him not choose that gold leaf, <laughs> that leather-bound $40 Bible. And he chose a $15 Bible, right? So I went and I paid for it, and on the receipt, I wrote my name, and I put down my email and phone number, and I waited. He didn't call me that night. I was ready for him to. It's going to make an awesome story, right? Buy this guy a Bible, and now he's traveling the world as an evangelist, right? He didn't call me the second day. He didn't call me the third day. He didn't call me on the fourth day. And I remember praying. I was frustrated. God, why did you have me do that? And then I, I, it was the first time I'd heard God's voice since the last time I heard it, which was by that man of Bible. And it was this time that I heard this. I had this thought. I just wanted to see if you were listening. That was God. That was God. Think of it this way. The creator of the universe whispers into your heart into my heart we don't deserve that and yet we get so busy we fill our minds with sports and the news and we can't he he is whispering to us and we can't hear him because we've got so much clutter worry anxiety the spirit of god he speaks to the spirit of god other times i shared the story yesterday i'll go ahead and share it now sometimes he uses miraculous signs right sometimes he uses signs so i was my wife really wanted to move back to Texas. I really didn't want to, and she asked me to pray about it. And I told her, I don't need to. I already know God's answer. <laughs> and so I was at uh, my, my parents' house, and there was my aunt, my mom, my daughter, and my wife all talking about how they were all praying we would move back to Texas. Well, I was very frustrated by that. I don't like it when people pray things will happen in my life that I don't want to happen. So I was very frustrated by that, and she just said, as we're driving back the two days from, from Texas all the way back to California, she just said, just pray about it. So on the very first day back in California, I go to work out, uh, and that was kind of unusual at the time. That in itself was a miracle. And, uh, but I go in, and on my way in, I'm just praying, God, would you just show us, are, we're so, are we supposed to live in Texas? Just show us. Just make it clear, Right? You know my heart, I don't want to go anywhere, but I'll do whatever you show us we should do. And I walk into the gym, and I heard this. Come back to Texas. True story. I had never heard that song in my entire life. I had never heard that song on the radio ever since. It was the only time, ever. That was the same guys who sing the theme song for Phineas and Ferb, if any of you know, have little kids. So literally, I walk in and I hear this, come back to Texas. Well, I didn't like what I heard. So I prayed again, no, God, really, I want you to show me. What do you want us to do? So I get on the treadmill and I'm watching ESPN, and they have California versus Texas in the Little League World Series. So then I'm like, okay, God, you know what? All right. Whoever wins this game, use that as a sign. And Texas won. So then I was like, okay, best two out of three. All right? And I'm not kidding you. And again, I shared this story yesterday. But literally over the next several months, right, I'd get fortune cookies that would say, your move to the east will bring you great prosperity. I'm like, Kung Fu, you know, uh, uh, Panda Express, I'm not moving east, right? 
I almost said Kung Fu Panda. They don't have a Kung Fu Panda restaurant, do they? <laughs> then I would read in Ezekiel. It says, go back to your countrymen, those stubborn and obstinate people. That sounds like Texas. <laughs> that sounds like me, right? And Texas thinks it's its own country. Like that, It was just one thing after another. And so then I went uh, to number four, Sage Council, right? So I'm having all these signs, and I went to Irwin. He's not only the, my boss, he was my pastor, he was a mentor. He is a mentor. And I went to Irwin, I said, I don't know what to do. Deborah really wants to move back to Texas, and I don't want to, but all these crazy things are happening. What do you think? And he looked at me and said, I would never want your, wife, your ministry to get in the way of your wife's happiness. And I thought, well, I've never had that thought. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> are you sure that's from God? You know? <laughs> That's not what I was wanting to hear, honestly, in that moment. And uh, so that day, he said, you need to go back to Texas. And so for about a week, that was the plan. We were going to go back to Texas, and then my wife changed her mind. You know, you guys have that prerogative, right? <laughs> but, you know, here's why was, that was great, because 10 months later, I'm the one who initiated, because God was starting to speak again. And he was speaking then, but it was becoming more and more clear to me. It was no longer my wife's idea. It was now God's idea, and I was now willing to follow. See, God speaks to us, not, but we have to be seeking him. We have to be listening for him. Look for signs, but not just signs. Take it to sage counsel, people who have a step ahead of you in the spiritual journey, and ask him, am I crazy, or does this sound like maybe it's God? Then look at circumstances, right? I mean, for him, Irwin said, look, your wife's not happy here. Maybe you should be there. Right? And so circumstances sometimes show us the right way to go. And then also think of it this way, significance. I gave you six S sounds. <laughs> I couldn't think of circumstances with an S. But uh, six S sounds, right? S. All right, significance. Consider this. Can anyone else do this? Consider the desires of your heart, your passions, your spiritual gifts, strengths, and background. There may be something that you're called to do, and the reason that you're called to do it is because you're the best one for it. When you see a need and there's a problem and it burns in your heart, that's probably because God wants you to do something about it. So what is your calling? Pursue him. God is speaking. Problem is we're just not listening. So let me just put this up. This again, I'm going to create a little grid. can be a little bit more. It's hard to see. I'm really sorry. It looks great on my computer. But uh, uh, we'll, again, kind of keep going through this. But the main question here is what is your calling? All right? Skill number two, tenacity overcoming trials. We don't want to be like the second soil that basically grew real fast, then it got hot out, and the next thing you know, it's over. Have you seen that in people's lives? Has that been true in your life? You grow like crazy. Man, I, I, I've been doing something. Whenever I lead someone to faith, I then, in that moment, say, and I want you to know, as good as you feel now, there will be a moment where you're not on this honeymoon phase anymore. Because I'm tired. Of, it just breaks my heart. Jesus warned us it would happen, but there are people that just, just seem to grow like crazy. Then the one time they get a no or not yet from God, they just derail, right? So I want you to kind of take a moment, and not now, but at some point just pull aside. And again, I'll send you this as a link. There's a little exercise you can do. Write down all the ways it's been hard to pull off your calling. Say you know your calling, right? You know you're supposed to start a business or you're supposed to start a nonprofit or you're supposed to start a family, right? What has happened to you that keeps you from making progress? 
Boy, it can be, that's a fun list. Write down all the ways people have messed with you, right? Just write them all down. But then I want you to start thinking about what are you experiencing right now that's keeping you from making progress? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and 2 several times talks about living a life worthy of your calling. See, some of us have a calling that's so big that we should expect it's going to be hard to get there. Are you willing to live a life worthy of your calling? One of my favorite quotes is from Rosabeth Moss Cantor. She says this. She's a Harvard professor. Everything looks like failure in the middle. See, some of you are right now are in the middle. You've been married 10 years, and you can't stand this guy anymore, right? Maybe you start a company, and it's three years old, and it's just it's hard. Everything looks like failure in the middle. Some of you are just in the middle. Just push through. You're right on the edge of that breakthrough. Don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on the calling that God has for you. Live a life worthy of the calling of you, you've received. Another favorite quote of mine, John Burke, the lead pastor at the church I'm at in, in Austin. It's called Gateway. We, uh, we're known for being a place where you can come as you are, but you don't have to stay that way. No perfect people allowed is, is one of our mantras. And John Burke said this, borrow hope from someone else when you need it. Right? So we need to choose hope even when we don't feel like it. And when you're not sure if you can make it, go talk to someone who has hope and borrow some. Listen to them. When they're saying, you can do this, just listen to them. Don't give up. There's a great book called uh, Great by Choice. Jim Collins, he talks about the 20-mile march. Have you guys ever heard of this story? Uh, again, I'll send you a link with some of this. But the 20-mile march is really, really fascinating study. Basically, it was, I can't remember the two guys' names. I shouldn't have uh, brought this up. But uh, two guys that were on their way to the South Pole. One team made it, the other team did not. The team that made it, they would march 20 miles every day, no matter what the weather was like, whether it was good or bad. And when it was good, they were like, let's keep going, let's go 40, let's go 50. And he would say, nope, we're going to stop. We've got to conserve our energy 20 miles every day. And then when it was terrible, like, we got to stop. No, 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 we got to keep going 20 miles every day. And they made it there and back. But the other group, when the weather was great, they would go as far as they could. And then the next day, it would be nice, and they couldn't go very far because they were exhausted. And then when the weather was tough, they wouldn't go at all. And the entire crew ended up dying on their way to the South Pole. See, this isn't about getting up to bat and hitting a home run every time. This is about hitting a single every single time. Just a... Just making progress every day, just a little bit, just every day, making progress. But when I've talked to people who have gone through uh, losing a baby, losing a family member, losing a marriage, you hear them say this, today my goal is just to get out of bed. Right? Just make a little bit of progress every day. And when that's you, when you have people that come around you and just saying, you can do it, just get out of bed, right? just get out of bed. And then eventually, you get out of bed and you become the person saying to someone else, hey, let me help you. You can do this, right? We need to help each other develop tenacity. We give up far too soon. Everything looks like failure in the middle. We were promised this would be hard. We shouldn't be surprised when it is. Okay, next. 
So that, that second question, what are your trials? Okay. What happens to us, I'll, I'll go through the whole thing in a minute. Okay, there we go, sorry. Third skill, intentional. Rather than giving up in the midst of temptation, we need to overcome temptation by being intentional. So here's a list that's not as fun to draw or write out. What choices do you make that keeps you from making progress? What, what are you doing that's fouling up your future, the calling that God has for you? Not sure? Ask other people, <laughs> right? They'll help you. You know, ask your neighbor, ask your coworkers, ask your friends, ask your family, right? In other words, what temptations seem to distract you from your calling? We talked about this yesterday in the, uh, you know what I'll do? I'll send you guys the notes from yesterday's. I did a talk called Trajectory, and I must have forgot to send them the, the uh, description of it. So it just said Trajectory and didn't tell you what it was. But it, it was similar. It's about how to create a better future. I'll send you the notes from that as well. But the idea here is this, Right? There are things that these regrets, they seem to haunt us. They seem to come alongside of us. And we start to believe the lie that we will never get better. That this is as good as it gets. When in reality, we follow a God that's doing a new thing. In you, he's doing a new thing. He's not done with you yet. It doesn't matter how old you are. Right? So Titus, uh, Ephesians 4, Peter, uh, 2 Peter 1, 3, I'll send you all this. But Titus is an interesting example. If you remember the letter to Titus, Paul has left Titus in an island called Crete, and he says in verse 5, I've left you there to appoint elders among all the people. That sounds easy enough, right? Just find spiritually mature people. They're husband of but one wife. They're not given to uh, you know, corruption. They're not given to anger. They're not drunk. But then in verse 12 and 13, or 11 and 12, Paul says, Now I know that even the Cretans call themselves lazy brutes, evil, gluttonous liars. So in other words, Paul is acknowledging this is going to be hard. And by the way, the word Cretan, 2,000 years later, is still not a compliment. That is still a cut down. So in other words, he's saying, I want you to turn Cretans into elders. I want you to turn evil people into spiritual leaders. That's what we're called to do too. That's our journey is to go from being a Cretan to becoming someone who can be entrusted with the life of another person as a mentor, as a disciple maker, right? But the problem is we start to believe this lie that we will never get better. I remember uh, in college, I had a real breakthrough when it came to you know, struggling with impure thoughts and some of the things that guys struggle with. And it was all when I started connecting the struggle in my mind with my future wife and with my campus. And so what happened is, this is a little path that I used, right, is every time an impure thought came into my head, I would quote a verse. Pure in heart will see God. I know it's short, but it still makes the point, right? The pure in heart will see God. It was a verse. What it did, it would stop me in my tracks. No second glances, right? Right then, the pure in heart will see God. And it started me down a road of, God, I want to pray for my campus, I started connecting what was happening inside of me to what God wanted to do through me. I started praying for my campus, and I started praying for my future wife. I started praying, God, and I pray for this woman, whoever she might be out there, that you would protect her from perverts like me, <laughs> right? And I, I don't want to think of someone else's wife the way I don't want others to think of my wife. And I took this really seriously when I was 19 years old. 
And I remember thinking, all the guys around me as we were trying, it was like every week we'd come together, and it just felt like, you know, the same struggles. But I started seeing progress because I started connecting what was happening inside of me with what God wanted to do outside of me. And so I have to do the same thing. I, I was sharing yesterday that I took the struggle that my family has with anxiety, and I decided, you know what, I don't want to just... Bryant's are given to, you know, fits of rage. I don't want that to be true anymore. And really, the guys, we, we just have a short temper, but really we're anxious. It just comes out as, as, as anger, right? And so I decided the same thing. Every time I started to get anxious, I would just start to take that thought captive, and I would start to replace that with a prayer towards who I want it to be, right? So being intentional along the way. Now, there's this great uh, verse in Titus. Uh, oh, yeah, it's 2, 11, and 12. Sorry, it was verse 12 of Titus 1. But anyway, 2, 11, and 12 says this. Grace helps us say no to ungodliness. So here's, here's the catch. See, some of us are stuck. We're struggling with the same thing. We believe the lie that we can never get better. And so instead, what you need to do is you need to flip a switch and, and that switch is called gratitude. Erwin describes it like this. Gratitude is being thankful for what you have and not mad about what you don't have. See, sometimes the struggles that we have are rooted in envy and lust and wanting something that's not ours. That's how the enemy starts whispering, right? The deceitfulness of wealth, anxieties of this world. That's what the third soil struggle was. So instead, being thankful for what you have and not mad about what you don't have, all of a sudden, it puts you in a different place. I don't need, I don't have to have. I'm so grateful for what I do have. It changes everything. When uh, I was watching Erwin and Kim, his wife, uh, raise their children, their kids are grown up now, but I remember seeing them as middle schoolers and teenagers, and, and they, they had this question for them, especially Erwin. The kids would come up to Erwin and they would ask this question. They would say, Dad, could we go to the movie? And he would always answer with this. Well, what do you deserve? And their response was, nothing. But could I go to the movie, right? But he was trying to teach them gratitude. What do you deserve? Nothing. I just want a CD, Dad. What do you deserve? Nothing. Can I still have the CD, right? You know? And so they're just kind of trying to teach them gratitude. So I was having this conversation with another guy named uh, Sebastian. And he had seen Erwin do the same. And I was talking to Sebastian. And his five-year-old son comes running up while we were talking. And his five-year-old son's, Daddy, 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 I want some candy. And Sebastian says, Sammy, not, not, right, not, not right now. I'm talking. But Daddy, please, Daddy, I want some candy. Son, not right now. But he would not be quieted, right? Daddy, 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 please, please, I want some candy. So Sebastian turns to Sammy and says, Son, what do you deserve? And little five-year-old Sammy puts his head down and says, death and hell. <laughs> okay, so now I would not recommend that as a parenting strategy, but it sure put candy in perspective, doesn't it? <laughs> right? But think of it this way, right? I mean, ultimately, we don't deserve anything from God. We don't deserve anything but being separated from him. And yet, in spite of our wickedness, he came to rescue us. He took upon himself our punishment. Dying on the cross, right? 
Boy, when you reorient your mind, you know what? I don't deserve anything. Grace, when we remember God's grace, it helps us say no to ungodliness. That's what the scriptures say right here. All right? <laughs> One time I was, a, I was a kindergarten teacher. That was a, that was a mess. But uh, I made a huge mistake, right? I mean, the time before, I, I should have known better. But with the third, when I went into the third grade, the, the substitute teacher the time before, you cannot be nice to these people, right? These little people, right? I, I did not realize that. I was smiling and laughing with them, and then by the end, they turned on me. It's like, like Lord of the Flies, you know? And this girl had a pencil stuck in her hand. Some other girl had stabbed her, and it was just chaos. And so I went in with the kindergarten class, and I decided to be tough on these little guys, right? So I come in, and I'm just kind of laying down the law, and these little five-year-old kids, I mean, they're babies. They're like toddlers who can go to the bathroom, right? You know, so... They're little bitty people, but I, I, I knew better than to be nice to them. And so at one point, I went over to this little kid, and he had his head down, and he was crying. And I said, Dudley, his name was Dudley, what's wrong? Well, he didn't answer me in that moment. Instead, Hector, who was sitting next to him, said, Dudley doesn't know how to write his D's. Now, that's a problem when your name is Dudley. He's got a big D and a little D in his name. So I lifted him, his little head off the table, and I grabbed his hand and the pencil. And if you remember the paper in kindergarten, it's like this big, the lines. And I held his hand and helped him do the big D. And then I helped him do the little D, right? And he got a little bit better. There's a couple times it looked more like doubly, you know, the, the little D was a little backwards. But, but he stopped crying. He seemed to gain a little bit of confidence. And at the end of the day... He comes up to me, and he gives me a valentine. It's really sweet, right? And then I flip over the valentine as he runs away, and on the back, it was signed in cursive, Love, Jennifer. <laughs> so I thought, Dudley has bigger problems than I thought, right? <laughs> and then it dawned on me. He didn't have any new valentines to give away. He gave me a valentine that Jennifer had given him. It was all he had to give, a used valentine. See, you might think of your life, I don't have anything to give. What, what, can God, what is God's calling in my life? But I'm telling you, just giving him whatever you have, he can take it and do so much more than you can ever imagine. He looks at you and sees potential for spiritual influence beyond what you could ever imagine. doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter the mistakes you've made, the family from which you were born. God has incredible possibilities for you. Let me throw this out. I mentioned this yesterday. Any, any of you grow up in families, uh, you know, you kind of wish you had another. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a nicer way to say it. <laughs> I couldn't think of another way. You know, you, you, go, you go to Thanksgiving because you have to, right? And, you know, you love your family, but, man, you do not, you're so glad you don't live with them anymore, right? That kind of thing. Well, man, I had a, a, a just kind of a season, maybe a few years, of just really struggling with my family. And then it dawned on me, as God's been changing my heart and changing my life, I had this thought just the other day, that God sent me to this broken, goofy, messed up family so that I might experience his healing and bring that healing to everyone who came before me and allow that healing to go forward from everyone after me. And the same is true for all of you. No matter how, what goofy family, what evil has been in your family, God wants to bring healing to you 
So you can bring that healing to everyone who came before you. And a whole new future for everyone that comes after you. We need to take sin seriously. The struggles that we face. Don't let it get in the way of what God has for you. God has good he intends for us that we will miss if we don't take seriously these struggles that are keeping us from our calling. All right, next one. All right, again, I'll do all this at the end. All right, skill number four, being proactive. All right, so the fourth soil, if you remember, it says that the fourth seed landed on good soil. And Jesus describes that as the soil that hears the word and understands it. Right? Now, any of you have children? Anyone have kids here? Okay, a lot of us have kids. All right, so when you hear the word and understand it, the best way to understand this is the Hebrew mind, you cannot hear from God and dismiss him. Right? The word hear literally means to obey. Now, if you think about that, we use that, that's true of us in America, right? In English. When you have a little kid, we say, are you listening to me? Right? The implication is, if you heard me, you would be doing what I said. Right? So we know they heard us, but they're not really listening. And that's what this passage is saying, is literally the good soil is the one that actually hears the word and obeys it, puts it into practice. So really, the opposite of this is when we know what we ought to do, we don't do it. That's true for some of us. Some of us are not living out our calling. We have not become the person God's called us to be because what we know we have to do next seems too difficult. See, God has a grand plan for your life, my life, but we cannot fully experience it unless we're willing to make the sacrifices necessary to get there. One of our favorite shows to watch, uh, we haven't watched in a while, Episodes are so long, but my wife and I uh, used to watch all the time The Biggest Loser. Any of you guys ever watched The Biggest Loser? It's very inspiring, right? And so we're watching this show, and uh, one time I remember it, because it's also kind of like Survivor, right? And so, so they like vote each other off and stuff, and this one time this guy literally gets on the scale, and in a week, the scale says that he had gained 17 pounds. And so his team lost, and they voted off this girl, and then they do the little interview with him, and he said, well, I wanted to lose today to, vi- to vote this girl off, so I drank a gallon of water before I got on the scale. I didn't realize it would <laughs> I would gain 17 pounds, right? It looked like, how, how do you gain 17 pounds in a week? That's like a two-year-old. Like, that. how do you do that, right? Well, he was cheating. Well, then the next week he gets back on the scale, and in one week he'd lost 33 pounds, right? That's not really accurate, right? He just didn't drink a gallon of water before he got on the scale. So we're watching the intrigue, and, the, and it was always kind of interesting, though, because it seemed like every season somebody would say something like this. For the first time in my life, I'm taking care of myself. That's what they would say. It, 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 my family and all my responsibilities, that's why I'm in this position. But now I'm going to take care of myself. And it always sounded so selfish, right? But then it dawned on me. Here's what they meant by taking care of themselves. They literally made the sacrifice to not be with their family for weeks. They didn't eat anything that they normally ate. They would work out six hours a day, right? See, taking care of yourself means making the sacrifices necessary to become the person you were created to be. See, some of us, God has such amazing things for us, but we haven't been willing to make the sacrifices necessary to get there. 
what do you need to do now to make progress? What sacrifices do you need to, do, to make to get there? Who can help you get there, right? Maybe there's other people that God's brought into your life that can be a resource to you, but you've been too afraid to ask. Humble yourself and ask for help. There's some great passages there. Genesis 11. Let me just throw this out real quick. Genesis 11 is a fascinating one. Everybody knows the story of Abraham, right? Remember the song, Father Abraham had many sons, right? And so Abraham was called by God to leave his people and go to the promised land. But here's what's fascinating. If you go back and read Genesis 11:31, it says that Terah, Abram's father, took his family from Ur, and he was on his way to Canaan. Canaan, also known as what? The promised land. He was actually on his way to the promised land, but he stopped in Haran. Or maybe I got that backwards. He started in Haran, stopped in Ur. Right? Started in Ur and went to Haran. Okay, they stopped in Haran. They settled there. They settled there. See, Terah, we don't know if God had the same conversation with him that he did with Abram, but maybe he did. What if he did? What if God said, Terah, I want you to get up and take your people from the land that you've always known, and I want you to trust me and go all the way to the promised land, but he stopped halfway there. We don't know if he had that conversation, but he did with Abram. He said, I want you to get up from where your dad settled halfway there. Get up and go to the land I will show you, the promised land. See, some of us have stopped halfway to where God wants us to be. And we've settled right where we're at. We need to get back up and keep going, no matter how hard it might be. John fourteen twenty one. does anyone know that verse? Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. See? You guys know the love language assessment? Well, that's a great assessment. If you've never done it, the five, look up five love languages. Take the assessment, especially if you're married. It's all about how to express love and how to receive love based on the person that you're with, right? And we all have different love languages. My wife's is buying gifts, so she likes to receive gifts. Mine's acts of service, so you can imagine how many times we've missed each other. I remember one time when we were dating uh, at Christmas, I'd made her a mixtape. Now, back in those days, that was like, that was a lot of work. You had to sit by the, the radio and listen, hit record, right? And so I worked really hard to make this mixtape. Well, she told my wife, the woman who became my wife, she was my girlfriend at the time, told my parents she'd bought me a $250 necklace, golden necklace. It looked like Mr. T. So she told my parents, they told me, so I had to regroup and I had to come up with a better plan, right? And so then the next year, she bought me a suit, a $350 suit. By this time, we were engaged. So I thought, we're well, going to have to have a conversation here. I don't wear necklaces and I don't wear suits. In fact, the only time I would wear that necklace was when she'd come to visit me. We lived two hours apart and my roommates would always laugh at me, you know, like, ah, oh, pity the fool who's dating Debbie, you know, it's like, <laughs> and so, so she buys me this suit. And so after that Christmas, we sat down and I said, sweetheart, I want you to know you're so generous, but now that we're about to get married, you know, I just want, just, just write me a check. No, I didn't say that. I said, I said, really, you don't have to buy so much stuff. You know, I just, for me, what would be a special gift is just homemade meal, just the two of us at home. And she said, you know, I'm glad we're talking about this because you give the worst gifts of any guy I've ever known, right? See, it was a love language thing. We were missing each other, right? 
So God's love language, it tells us right here in the scripture, whoever keeps my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. See, God's love language is trust, obedience, doing what we know he wants us to do. And when we do that, we are able to experience the life that he's created for us. All right, this is a little bit intense here, but you guys can handle this, right? This is the path towards purpose, right? Key question to ask is, what is your calling? Become receptive. And what that does, it moves you from having a hardened heart to a more vulnerable heart. To become tenacious, consider what are your trials. What you're trying to do here is move from a shallow faith to a deep faith. Intentional, what are your temptations? What you're trying to do is move from being caught up in the thorns to being in the clear. And to be proactive, the opposite of being fruitful is to be desolate. But you need to be willing to sacrifice so instead you can be creative. And here's what's really fun. What happens is when you learn to over, hear God's voice, then you can be a prophet in the life of others. When you learn to overcome trials, you can be a guide to others in the midst of their trials. When you have overcome temptations, you can be a trailblazer helping others with their temptations. And when you learn to be proactive, obedient to whatever God calls you to do, you can be a catalyst to help others in their life. So let me just pause. Being fruitful is being transformed and transforming other people. I did this yesterday, and I guess I like to do this at every Thrive Breakout I've ever done. Just for a second, just for fun, just out loud, tell me the name of the person that helped you follow Jesus. Okay? All right, so think about this for a moment. heard lots of different names. God loved you so much, he brought that person into your life. So, isn't it possible that there's a coworker, a neighbor, a family member, a friend that he loves so much that he brought you into their life? See, this is important. We have got to let God transform us so we can be transformative to other people. One of the greatest ways to lead our friends to faith is when they see the fruit of the Spirit in our life, when they see us going through a trial and not losing hope, when they see us overcoming a, a temptation that seemed to bog us down for years. When we start taking seriously our own spiritual growth and connect that growth to what could happen in the lives of those we care about, it's amazing what might happen. All right, let me see if you have any questions. I'll put this up on the board again. I'll send this to you if those of you came in a little late. If you didn't give me your email address, please write that down over here at the book table. Uh, Mark, could you hold up, or Dorothy? Okay, there's the newsletter list. Would you hold up a book called Not Like Me? Okay, that book is $15. It's originally, uh, it was about embracing people Christians love to hate. But they didn't like that subtitle, so they changed it. But it's about, really, uh, how do you reach someone who's uh, making a different moral choice than you'd want? Or how do you reach someone that looks differently or comes from a different spiritual background? There's a chapter in there called White Men Can Jump, just not as high. It's about overcoming stereotypes. There's another one. Uh, originally, it was called uh, Why Homophobia is So Gay. And uh, they didn't like that one, although my gay friends did. But that's about how do you love people and embrace them and even help them find Jesus even when they make decisions that are uh, not according to God's will. So that's $15. Then there's also, uh, you heard me quote Irwin on gratitude, is being thankful for what you have and not mad about what you don't have. That comes from a book called Uprising. That's $10, the blue one there. That's a book Irwin and I wrote. 
Uh, there's just a few of those left. That's $10. And there's two peppermint-filled piñatas and como piñatas. That's the Spanish version. Those are both $10. Those are not like me. The same thing is not like me. You don't need to buy not like me in those. 